0: dear friend of mine shared this funny story with me this past week, and so I uh, believe it would uh, bring joy to us this morning as uh, I read this story. An old preacher told the story of a young minister who was interviewing for his first pastor position. The full committee had invited him to come over to their church for the interview. The committee chairman asked him, son, do you know the Bible pretty good? The young minister said, yes, pretty good. The chairman asked, well, which part do you know best? And he responded and says, said, I know the New Testament best. Well, which part of the New Testament do you know best, asked the chairman. And the young minister said, well, several parts. The chairman said, well, why don't you tell us the story of the prodigal son? And the young man said, fine, I'll do that. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus who went down to Jericho by night and fell upon stony ground and the thorns choked him half to death. The next morning, Solomon and his wife, Gamora, came by and carried him down to the ark for Moses to take care of. But as he was going through the eastern gate into the ark, he caught his hair in a limb and he hung there 40 days and 40 nights. And afterwards he did hunger and the ravens came and fed him. The next day, three wise men came and carried him down to the boat dock and he caught a ship to Nineveh. And when he got there, he found Delilah sitting on the wall. He said, chunk her down, boys, chunk her down. And they said, how many times shall we chunk her down till seven times seven? And he said, nay, but 70 times seven. And they chunked her down 490 times. And she burst asunder in their midst. They picked up 12 basketfuls of leftovers. And in the resurrection, whose wife shall she be? (laughs) The committee chairman suddenly interrupted the young minister and said to the remainder of the committee, Guys, I think we ought to ask the church to call him as our minister. He's awfully young, but he sure knows his Bible. (laughs) This humorous illustration shares and emphasizes to us the importance of knowing God's Word. Uh, God wants us to know His Word. God wants us to read His Word. God wants us to memorize His Word. God wants us to meditate on His Word. God wants us to obey His Word. God wants us to share His Word with those He places around us. Isaiah told us in Isaiah 40 and verse 8, The grass withers, the flowers fade, but the Word of our God remains forever. Our God and His Word remains forever. Amen. God's Word never returns void. It always accomplishes the purposes and plans God sets for it. God's Word is profitable and useful for teaching us, rebuking us, correcting us, and training us in righteousness so that we will be mature and complete in our faith in Jesus and equipped to do the works for Jesus, which God has prepared in advance for us to do. You see, as we get in God's Word, God's Word gets in us And it goes through us to those God places around us, which is exactly what God wants for you and for me. God wants us to live what we learn from his word day by day. So if you have your Bibles with me, open them to the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians. We are starting a new series this morning titled Stay Ready. We are going to study through 1 Thessalonians verse by verse over the coming weeks and months as we look at what God has prepared for us in this amazing, fantastic letter that Paul wrote to the believers in the church in Thessalonica. We are going to enjoy this study together. Uh, You'll learn more and more about this amazing church as we make our way through, Uh, and I'm excited about what God is going to teach us as he continues his work in us, through us, and around us in the days and weeks and months to come. Uh, The goal for all of us will be to be an expert On 1 Thessalonians, when we are finished, and I am confident that that will be the case for each one of us. So let's open with prayer. Father God, we ask that you would open our eyes to the wonderful truth in your word. Father, as we now spend time focused on your word, would you uh, use your Holy Spirit to teach us the truth from your word that you desire for each of us to grasp so that we might continue in our uh, walk with you and our uh, journey to become more and more like Jesus Christ. God, you're going to speak to each one of us here right where we are, and so we're excited about that. Father, would you give us eyes to see and ears to hear your truth, and then, Father, give us the courage to respond in obedience to you, for it is in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We're going to set the scene, so to speak, this morning uh, so that when we get into this study and as we get into the study this morning, you'll have a much better understanding and idea, background of what's going on, why it's going on, uh, and how everything is working. So we're going to focus on uh, six points. If we can make our way through this morning, we're going to focus on these six points that will give us a real good framework to understanding uh, God's amazing truth that he is going to share with us here in 1 Thessalonians. So number one, the first point is the author. The author is Paul. If you look in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1, verse 1, Paul identified himself as the author. He, he wrote these words, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy, to the church of the Thessalonians, in God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace to you and peace. Paul here identified himself as the author of 1 Thessalonians, there is fairly strong common agreement among biblical scholars to Pauline authorship of 1 Thessalonians. Uh, And so we see he also identified himself as the author in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. If you look at chapter 2 and verse 18, uh, you see, so Paul wrote, so we wanted to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul expressed here to these believers that he longed to come and see them again. And so we know, and we'll get more understanding about what he was talking about there in that chapter when we get there, but we know Paul is the author of 1 Thessalonians. Now, as you see in verse 1 of chapter 1, Paul also identified Silvanus, which is another name for Silas, and Timothy as those who ministered with him in... Thessalonica. And so when I mention Paul and his team, uh, I'm focusing in on Paul, Silas, or Silvanus, Silas, uh, and uh, Timothy as his team. And we'll talk a little bit more about that uh, as we make our way through. Second, the city. We know the altar is Paul, the city is Thessalonica, or you can also pronounce it Thessalonike. We will use Thessalonica, it's a little easier for us to remember. And I want to share. Uh, about the city in two parts. The first part, we're going to look at the travels to Thessalonica. The second part, we're going to look at facts about Thessalonica. So we're going to look at the travels to Thessalonica first. And we know that Paul went to Thessalonica. He visited Thessalonica. He ministered there in Thessalonica during his second missionary journey. He took three missionary journeys. It was in his second missionary journey. That he made it to Thessalonica. Now, hold your place in 1 Thessalonians and turn to your left to Acts. Acts chapter 15. We're going to go back and forth this entire morning between Acts and 1 Thessalonians. Acts and 1 Thessalonians. Because Acts gives us the background of Paul's journey there. Thessalonians gives us the the meat of what Paul wrote to the believers. So Acts chapter 15 in verse 36 we see the beginning of the second missionary journey. And Luke, again, is the author of Acts. And Luke wrote in Acts 15, after some time had passed, that was after Paul and Barnabas had had taken their first missionary journey, that they came back home, they were resting. After some time had passed, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the brothers and sisters in every town where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. He was saying, hey, Barnabas, it's time. Let's go on our second journey. We need to go back to everywhere we went the first journey and encourage them. Uh, Barnabas Barnabas wanted to take along John Mark, but Paul insisted that they should not take along this man who had deserted them and Pamphylia and had not gone on with them to the work. They had such a sharp disagreement that they parted company. And Barnabas took Mark with him and sailed off to Cyprus. But Paul chose Silas, and departed after being commended by the brothers and sisters to the grace of the lord <clears throat> he traveled to syria and Cilicia, strengthening the churches <clears throat> so let's look at this for just a moment a couple of things is it possible for brothers and sisters in christ jesus to have disagreements and to work their way through those disagreements biblically and god bless those disagreements and the resolution of disagreements the answer is absolutely yes we have two of the strongest men here in the church. These two guys, Paul and Barnabas. They went throughout the first missionary journey together. They were brothers in Christ Jesus, fellow ministers, and they had such a disagreement that they could not come to a resolution and the resolution they came to them was we're not going to take him. We're not going to go together. We're going to have to part ways. John Mark had deserted Paul and Barnabas on the first missionary journey. He went with them for a period of time, and then he said, I got to go back. I can't keep doing this. And Paul remembered this, and Paul said, hey, if we're going on the second one, we're not taking John Mark. Barnabas said, no, 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 we need to take John Mark. Give him a second chance. Remember, if you know your Bible history, you know Barnabas was also known as the the man of encouragement. He said, no, we're going to give him a second chance. Paul said, no, we won't. Barnabas said, yes, I think we should. Paul said, no, I don't think we should. And so what happened? What happened? Well, they both sought the Lord and God doubled his missionary impact as Barnabas went ahead and took John Mark and they sailed to Cyprus and they began ministering to the churches there. Paul said, okay, that's great. This works out perfect. We can disagree as brothers in Christ. We can love one another. We can even double the ministry because Paul then took Silas and they went the opposite direction, visiting the churches that they had planted in the first missionary journey. And so we see here that they began in Syria. At the end of chapter 15, they traveled through Syria and through Cilicia, And they began their journey in that way. So what we're going to do now is I hope you grabbed a bulletin coming in. If you did, you're going to be very blessed. If you didn't, you're going to have to sit next to the person next to you. Because in your bulletin, you've got a map. You've got a map in your bulletin. And I want to show you, and we're going to trace this journey. We're going to trace the travels of Paul through this second missionary journey. So if you got your maps, everybody got your maps? Raise your head, shake your head yes. All right, you got your maps? All right, look and and see to the right. Over to the right, you're going to see Syria. uh, And it's over to the right. It's in yellow. And you see that little dot that says Antioch. You see that? Antioch in Syria is where they started. That's the launching point. So in the end of Acts 15, they said they traveled through Syria and Kilakia. Well, you see, they went from Syria, Antioch, so we're, we're following it, we're tracking, and they went into Cilicia. you see it there, right above, follow the orange line, the red line, made it to Tarsus, and then continued on towards Derby, Lystra, and Iconium. You follow, everybody following. You see that, Okay. Let's just make this point clear as we make our beginning point and we make our way through. They weren't using Uber or Lyft or anything like that. They were using their feet. This was all on foot. Now let's look in Acts 16 and verse one. Look at Acts 16 and verse one because this is key. <clears throat> we're going to follow what's going on. This is key. Paul went to Derby and Lystra. You see Derby and Lystra there. You got your map. You see Derby and Lystra. Paul and Silas went to Derby and Lystra, where there was a disciple named Timothy, the son of a believing Jewish woman at but his father was a Greek. This is key. When they get to Derby and Lystra, they meet up with Timothy and they hear about Timothy. Paul hears about Timothy, and Timothy is spoken well of by the believers in Lystra and Iconium and Derby, and Paul wanted to take Timothy with them. And he wanted Timothy to join them on his second missionary journey. And so that's exactly what happened. Timothy wanted to go. He was a man after God's heart. He loved the Lord. He was growing in his faith in Christ Jesus. He wanted to go with Paul. He had heard Paul before in the first missionary journey. And so he joined them. Paul circumcised Timothy. Uh, And then he took Timothy with them on the journey. The reason for the circumcision was so that the work among the Jews, as they made their way through out the second ministerial journey, would not be hindered. And so we wanted to make sure that ministry would be able to, to happen the way they needed to happen without any hindrances. Because if an uncircumcised Jew came into the synagogues with Paul on the rest of the journey, that would be seen in a negative light and would hinder their ministry. And so this happened, and so they continued through Derby, Lystra, Iconium, and then, as you see, uh, if you continue on the scriptures, they make their way to Phrygia. Phrygia is a province that is south of Antioch and Pisidia. Everybody see Antioch and Pisidia? <clears throat> you see that? Phrygia is a province that's south, just south, above Capit- uh, above Pamphylia, uh, and right there in that area, that blue area, it's not mentioned on this map. It is on most others. Phrygia is right there leading up to Antioch and Pisidia. You see Galatea up to the right of Phrygia, up to the north and the northwest of Antioch and Pisidia. Everybody see that? Scripture says that Paul and his team went through Phrygia and Galatea, came to Antioch and Pisidia, and then they made their way through Asia. They started going through Asia at that time. This area was known as Asia, the northern part, the northern track of Asia, and they came to Mysia. Again, Musia is not shown in this map, Uh, But it is the northern part along that route, the northern part along that route uh, of Asia. If you see up to the northwest of Asia is Bithynia and Pontus. You see Bithynia. When they came up through Asia, they made their way into Musia, uh, which is right there in the northern part of Asia. They stopped and they wanted to go up to Bithynia. They wanted to hang a right and go up to Bithynia. But the spirit of Jesus, the scripture says, told them not to. And so they continued, and they made their way to Troas. Everybody, let me know if you see Troas. Raise your right hand. Wave at me if you see Troas. All right, great. You see Troas. They made their way to Troas. And when they got to Troas, something interesting happened. Paul had a vision in Troas. And in the vision... There was a man from Macedonia that came to him in a vision and said, Would you please come and minister to us? And so Paul got up the next day, and he and his team, they set sail from Troas, and they sailed to Samothrake. You see Samothrake, it's an island right there in the northern part of the Aegean Sea. They sailed to Samothrace. They stopped there for a rest, real quick stop, and then they made their way to Neapolis. You see Neapolis. They continued sailing. Over to Neapolis. Once they got into Neapolis, they then traveled inland to Philippi. Philippi, you see it right there up at the top in Macedonia. You see Philippi. When they got to Philippi, Paul and his team planted a church. Paul loved the Philippian believers, he wrote his letter of Philippians to the believers in Philippi. And you remember part of the history, part of the story behind the believers in the church in Philippi, you remember they had planted the church in Philippi, things were going well, Paul and Silas were ministering there with Timothy in Philippi, and there was a young girl who was following them and trailing them, and she had a spirit which allowed her to predict the future, And she was hindering and bothering and pestering Paul and Silas. And so one day they were traveling and she was saying things about Paul and Silas and telling who they were. And Paul turned around and he cast the spirit out of her. Immediately, spirit left her. Well, her owners got real angry with Paul and Silas because they no longer had the opportunity to make money because she could predict the future. So they arrested Paul and Silas. They beat Paul and Silas. They flogged Paul and Silas. And they threw Paul and Silas in the prison cell in chains, and that night an earthquake came, and the earthquake was so strong that it threw open the prison doors, it threw off all the chains of the prisoners, and the jailer came running in after the earthquake, and he saw what happened, and he immediately realized, oh no, all the prisoners have escaped, and so he went to grab his sword, he was going to kill himself, because he knew that the price for prisoners escaping for the jailer was the jailer's life, and Paul and Silas both said, no, 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 whoa, whoa, we're here. Don't do that. We're still here. The jailer was stunned. He said, sirs, what, what must I do to be saved? He immediately came to them. Wanted to know who is it that you have? What is it that you know? Why are you still here? He couldn't believe it. And we know that that night the jailer received God's gift of salvation by God's grace through his faith in Christ Jesus. The entire jailer's family. And then Paul and Silas went and baptized them that night. And they added to the church in Philippi. They became members of the church in Philippi. Paul and Silas then left Philippi. And so you see, they left Philippi. And they went through Amphipolis and Apollonia. And they came to Thessalonica. So we've made it to Thessalonica. Give Paul a hand. Give him a hand. That was a good journey. That's amazing. Hundreds and hundreds of miles. They get to Thessalonica. Now, let's see what happens in Thessalonica. You're going to enjoy this. Let's see what happens in Thessalonica. We pick up in Acts 17. Acts 17. After they passed through Amphipolis and Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. As usual, Paul went into the synagogue, and on three Sabbath days, reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Messiah Jesus to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I am proclaiming to you is the Messiah. Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, including a large number of God-fearing Greeks, as well as a number of the leading women. Paul and his team planted right here, right there, In those first four verses, we see the church in Thessalonica was planted. And Paul began ministering there. God, things were happening. The church began to grow. He planted a good, a strong church. And we know that the Jews became jealous. They got jealous of Paul. They got jealous of what was going on. And so they immediately stirred up trouble for Paul and his team. They stirred up trouble, and they actually forced Paul and his team to leave Thessalonica so they left quickly they left Thessalonica and they went to Berea and they got to Berea and you see that on your map Berea is just the next town right past Thessalonica they got to Berea and they began ministering in Berea as they would always do they went to the synagogue they began ministering in Berea the Bereans were wonderful group of folks a strong church that got into God's word and so the Jews from Thessalonica, who were upset with Paul and Thessalonica, traveled a short distance to Berea and stirred up trouble for Paul and his team in Berea. And so Paul left Berea. The brothers and sisters in the church in Berea, they sent Paul away. They immediately sent Paul down to Athens. So if you follow that, it's a quite a bit down south, but that Paul went down next to Athens and Timothy and Silas stayed in Berea for a very short time because when Paul got to Athens, he sent word back and told uh, Timothy and Silas, hey, come to me quickly in Athens. I want you to come see me real quick in Athens. Don't stay there long. So word got back to Timothy and to Silas. They met and they went down and traveled towards Athens. Now, As Paul waited for Timothy and Silas to join him in Athens, Paul began doing what Paul did. He began preaching and teaching in the Jewish synagogue in Athens. He began reasoning with the Jews that this Jesus is the Messiah. And so as he was reasoning with the Jews, teaching there in Athens, we see the scriptures tell us, and I'm summarizing a lot of this uh, in the scriptures here in Acts, we see that Silas and Timothy... They make their way to Athens. So they meet back up with Paul. When they get to Athens, Paul told Timothy, listen, Tim, I need you to go back to Thessalonica. So if you look where Athens is on your map, he then sent Tim back to Thessalonica from Athens. And he said, I need you to go back to Athens. I need you to go back to Thessalonica and check on the believers there because I'm concerned for them. I not you go check on them for me. And so we see this, if you turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, we see the background of this. Verse 1, therefore, we, when we could no longer stand it, we thought it was better to be left alone in Athens. Paul says, I was left alone in Athens. And we sent Timothy, our brother and God's co-worker in the gospel of Christ to strengthen and encourage you concerning your faith. Look at verse 5. For this reason, when I could no longer stand it, I, that being Paul, Also sent Timothy to find out about your faith, fearing that the tempter had tempted you and that our labor might be for nothing. So we understand and realize that Paul sent Timothy from Athens to go back to Thessalonica because he was concerned For the believers in Thessalonica, why? Because the believers in Thessalonica were facing persecution and opposition for their faith in Jesus. And Paul was concerned that they had turned away from Jesus. He was concerned for them. He didn't want them to turn away from following Jesus. He knew that the trouble had been started up, and he had to leave them quickly. He was concerned about them, so he said, Hey, Tim, would you please go back to Thessalonica, find out about their faith, find out about how they're doing, and then I need you to bring me a report about it. And so that's what Timothy did. He left Athens, and he went back to Thessalonica We see then, after Timothy left Paul in Athens and went back towards Thessalonica, we know that Paul also sent Silas back up into Macedonia to either or, uh, could have been both and, back up to Berea and Philippi to check on them. Paul's there in Athens, and then Paul leaves Athens, and he travels to Corinth. In Acts 18 and verse 1, look at Acts 18 and verse 1. After he left Athens and went to Corinth, So he left Athens, Paul sent Silas and Timothy back up to Macedonia, then he left Athens. Now look on your map, find Corinth from Athens. It's over to your left. You see Athens, he traveled over to Corinth. And we see in Acts 18 and verse 5, we pick back up, when Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia. Where did Timothy arrive from? Macedonia. What city in Macedonia? Thessalonica. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul back, and that's in Corinth because Paul's in Corinth right now. So Timothy and Silas arrived back from going and checking on the churches in Macedonia. They came to Corinth. When Silas and Timothy arrived from Macedonia, Paul devoted himself to preaching the word and testified to the Jews that Jesus is the Messiah. So we see now, Paul, Timothy, and Silas are in Corinth. Timothy came back to Corinth to meet with Paul from being in Thessalonica. Silas came back to Corinth from, uh, to meet with Paul and Timothy, and he had been in the other Macedonian churches. And they traveled back, and so now they're with Paul in Corinth. And the scriptures tell us that they ministered in Corinth for a year and a half. They stayed there for a year and a half and ministered in Corinth. So that's a little bit of the travels that'll help give you a framework as we dive into this passage of First Thessalonians. Now let me give you some facts about Thessalonica. Just some quick facts. Thessalonica was the largest city in Macedonia. If you look on your map there, it's the largest city in Macedonia. Thessalonica was the capital city of Macedonia. Macedonia was the northern province of Greece that was under Roman rule. When Paul brought the uh, gospel over into Macedonia, when, cro- when Paul crossed the Aegean Sea and came into Macedonia and then continued beyond, he literally brought the gospel of Jesus Christ to Europe. Because if you look on your map, and if you look above north, it's not pictured there, but if you were to look above Macedonia, you would notice and see that that is Europe. So the gospel of Jesus Christ spread into Europe at this time. We know that that Thessalonica was an important city. It was a major city of trade and politics and philosophy due to its advantageous location. If you look down your map, you're going to notice that Thessalonica was a seaport city. It was a port city located at the northern point of the Aegean Sea. So there was a lot of trade and a lot of travel coming in by sea. It was also perfectly located along the Ignatian Way, which was a road, a long road, which connected all of the Macedonian cities together. So it was a highly traveled city by land. It was a highly traveled city by sea. And so we know that this city had up to about 200,000 citizens at this point in time in Paul's day in Thessalonica. And so the gospel of Jesus Christ could literally explode in all directions from Thessalonica. We know that Thessalonica was a free city. It was one of the free cities in the Roman Empire. That means it was ruled by its own citizens. Under the authority, auspices, and leadership of the Roman Empire, yet it didn't have a Roman emperor there in position of leadership. Their own citizens were able to rule there in Thessalonica. It was also a polytheistic city, uh, which means there were many different gods that were worshipped there. Many, many different gods, a pantheon of gods, uh, the Roman and Greek gods. There were many cults that were prosperous there. Many Egyptian cults and other cults. And there was also, as we learned, there was a Jewish synagogue there. Because uh, there was a good number of Jews that had uh, traveled there through the diaspora, the spreading out from Jerusalem, and it made it all the way to Thessalonica. And now we also know there was a church of Jesus Christ in Thessalonica. And so we know Thessalonica was a very strategic city for Paul to target, to plant a church there. It makes sense because of all the ministry that could happen in and around Thessalonica. And that's exactly what Paul did as he planted that church there in Thessalonica. Third point, the place of writing. The place of writing. You probably could guess where 1 Thessalonians was written from. It was written by Paul. We have already covered that. It was written to the believers of the church in Thessalonica. We've all covered that. Now, just in your own mind, you don't have to answer, but just think, based on what you've already know, where do you think Paul wrote this letter of 1 Thessalonians to be sent back to the church in Thessalonica? If you said Corinth, you were right. We know, remember, Paul left Athens and went to Corinth. And Paul waited in Corinth for... Timothy to come back, because Paul, when he was in Athens, had sent Timothy back to Thessalonica and said, hey, go get a report for me. I need you to tell me about what's going on in Thessalonica. And so Paul then left Athens and went to Corinth. Timothy joined Paul in Corinth, and it was there in Corinth where Timothy got to Paul. and He said, hey, Paul, you won't believe what I heard. You won't believe what I found. You won't believe what I saw. It's awesome. And he shared with Paul about what was going on Thessalonica. We see this in 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Turn back to 1 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 6. Paul wrote, but now Timothy has come to us from you and brought us good news about your faith and love. He reported that you always have good memories of us and that you long to see us as we also long to see you. So it's clear. Paul Heard about what was going on in Thessalonica from Timothy in Corinth. They ministered, remember how long? A year and a half in Corinth, which was plenty of time for them, Paul, to sit down while he was ministering in Corinth. And he wrote 1st and 2nd Thessalonians from the city of Corinth uh, that was to be delivered back to the believers in Thessalonica. And the letter that he wrote that was delivered and read to the believers in Thessalonica is what we have in our scriptures here, 1st Thessalonians. Now the date of the writing this is really cool we won't spend long on this but let me just give you the date of the writing it's a date the date of the writing is a time period between AD 49 and 51 A.D. 49 and 51. In Acts chapter 18, if you go back to Acts in chapter 18, uh, this is pretty neat. Acts chapter 18, we see Luke said, While Galil was proconsul of Achaia, the Jews made a united attack against Paul and brought him to the tribunal. <clears throat> scholars tell us, historians, scholars tell us, that Galil, mentioned here in Acts 18, 12, uh, was proconsul in Achaia in AD, the early A.D. 50s the early A.D. 50, So there's uh, non-biblical support for Galileo being the proconsul in Ahai. We know Corinth was a city in the province of Achaia. Corinth was not a Macedonian city, it was an Ahai city. And so we know that our biblical scholars uh, date the writing of 1 Thessalonians to the time period of A.D. 49 to A.D. 51. Most likely, more likely A.D. 51 is the specific date Uh, That's what most scholars believe. But it's in that time frame, within this second missionary journey time frame, within this time frame when Galileo was proconsul of Ahai. And so more likely it's A.D. 50 or 51 when it was written. Now here's some other cool things about uh, this writing. This was one of Paul's earliest writings. This 1 Thessalonians and Galatians were his earliest two writings, his first two writings. So this was written early 1st century A.D., we know that this 1 Thessalonians was written approximately 20 years after the death, burial, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ. Now that's getting real close. You follow me? If you're following me, shake your head yes. Why is that time frame important? Here's why that time frame is important. In any historical writing, biblical or non biblical, One of the ways that you attest to the veracity of the writing is you want to find a writing that was written as close to the time that it's writing about the events that happened. You want the events that happened and you want somebody writing about the events that happened as close to that time as possible because when it's as close to that time as possible, what happens? It protects anything from stories being written and things being expanded and things being made up and people adding to stuff that really didn't happen. There's no book better attested internally in regards to evidence than the scriptures. So just understand this, is this is an apologetics course, so I'm not gonna go there for very long, but just know that God's word trounces all the other historical books in the amount of time when the events occurred and when we have examples and actual fragments of the writings about what happened. And 1 Thessalonians is one of these books, amazing. This stuff that Paul was writing about in 1 Thessalonians, some of the stuff had happened just 20 years ago. What does that mean? It means if he was making stuff up, if he wasn't writing the truth, if it wasn't correct, folks would have been like, who are you? What is this? This is crazy talk. It would never have passed the test. It would never have made it into the canon of scripture. So what does this mean? It means you and I can rely on this word. We can build our lives on this word. We can trust this word. As we read these words that we're getting ready to read over the coming weeks and months that Paul wrote to the believers of Thessalonica, these were the exact words he wrote. These were the words our brothers and sisters of Christ listened to and read and applied in their lives. And they were written for these brothers and sisters years and years ago just like they're written for you and me today. Isn't that awesome? Woo, that's amazing stuff. That is good. All right, let's keep moving. I got to keep moving. Boy, we're going to have got to get through quite a bit more. All right, the purpose, the purpose of the writing, the purpose. Now, remember, let me just give you a background of the purpose. Remember, this was a young church. Thessalonica was a young church in age and in spiritual maturity. Paul did not stay long with them when he planted the church. The scriptures have already told us he reasoned with them for three Sabbath days. So he ministered, he reasoned, he taught for three Sabbath days, that's three weeks. And he was preaching Jesus Christ is the Messiah. He was also ministering in Jason's house. Jason was a guy that allowed him to stay. Paul and his ministry team stayed at Jason's house. While they were there in Thessalonica, and so he wasn't there for a long period of time, Uh, but that's okay because we're going to see what God did in this amazing church, even in that short period of time. uh, God was at work in them, through them, and around them in amazing ways. And so he was there with Jason as he was staying there ministering for those three weeks or so, maybe four weeks, give or take, uh, and so we see this in Acts 17. Turn back to Acts 17. Uh, we got to m- move back to Acts 17 and continue uh, with verse 5. Uh, remember, in verses 1 through 4, we talked about how he planted the church. Let's see what happens in verse 5. But the Jews came, became jealous, and they brought together some wicked men from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. Attacking Jason's house, they searched for them to bring them out to the public assembly. They were not having good intentions in mind. When they did not find them, them as Paul and Silas and Timothy... When they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some of the brothers before the city officials shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here too, and Jason has welcomed them. They are all acting contrary to Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, Jesus. The crowd and city officials who heard these things were upset after taking a security bond from Jason and the others, they released them. Now, I love this. This is so good. You see the enemy. Man, our enemy is defeated, isn't he? He's defeated. He is a miserable, miserable, defeated loser. And I love it. We're victors in Christ Jesus. We don't fight for victory. We fight from victory in Christ Jesus. Now, I want you to notice Satan was even admitting, and the folks who were coming against the church were admitting that God was at work in the church. Don't miss this. Did you see it? These guys, the mob said, the mob came to the city officials and said, these men who were turning the world upside down have come here too. They recognized that these men, Paul and the disciples, were turning the world upside down for Jesus Christ. So those who were opposing the church were actually supporting what was going on in the church. Isn't that God? Isn't that God? I think somewhere in the scriptures he says he's our defender, doesn't he? He's our defender. He fights our battles. We're victors in Christ, we're overcomers in Christ. These folks who were trying to squash the church promoted the church. These guys who were turning the world upside down have come here. Please do something, please. It's basically what they were saying. I love it. And I love what was going on. They even knew what they were saying. They even proclaimed the message. They're preaching and teaching about King Jesus. Amen. Yes, that is exactly what they were doing. They were preaching about King Jesus. So they're giving a testimony. and They don't even realize it. They're giving a testimony to the city officials about the effectiveness of the church. Isn't that awesome? Man, that's good. Man, this stuff is so good. So what happened? Well, they had searched and searched in Jason's house and they couldn't find them. So what do they do? They grab Jason and some of the other brothers. So that tells us that not only was Paul uh, and Silas and Timothy staying with Jason, but there were some other brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus who met in Jason's house. They were maybe even staying with Jason. So it wasn't just at the synagogue on the three Sabbath days, but there was also ministry going on, I'm sure, probably in the evening time at Jason's house. And so they grabbed Jason, and they grabbed some of the brothers in Christ who were with Jason, who were part of the first church in Thessalonica, and they brought him out before the city officials. And they said, these guys— These guys were harboring them. They they welcomed them. Do something to these guys. They've allowed these guys who are turning the world upside down for Jesus to stay with them. And so we see here that uh, Jason paid a security bond. That was an amount of money that Jason paid uh, to the city officials there in Thessalonica, which would, in essence, guarantee... That the problems uh, that were going on, because Paul and Timothy and Silas were preaching and teaching Jesus Christ as the king, the one true king, they basically guaranteed, Jason was basically guaranteeing the city officials, hey, we're going to make sure that that doesn't continue to happen. It's a security bomb. We'll make sure that that doesn't continue to happen, which was part of God's plan because God was leading Paul and Timothy and Silas to go ahead and move on to Berea and then to Athens and then to Corinth anyways. And so we see shortly after that, they left. You look in verse 10 of chapter 17. As soon as it was night, the brothers and sisters sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. Upon arrival, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. And so we see that uh, this has taken place. All this is going on uh, in the background as to what's happening and it's producing this letter of 1 Thessalonians. So there was three main purposes, real quick, three main purposes uh, for Paul's writing Um, We'll hit these real quick. Number one was thankfulness. Paul expressed his thankfulness to God for the believers in Thessalonica, and Paul expressed his thankfulness for the believers to the believers in Thessalonica. He literally told them he was thankful for them. Paul was thankful for their faith in Jesus. Paul was thankful for their perseverance in Jesus. Paul was thankful for their witness for Jesus. Paul later said in 1 Thessalonians 5.18, we'll get to this at a certain point in time, give thanks in everything for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. So Paul practiced what He preached. Paul practiced what he preached in all areas, but specifically in this area of thankfulness. Paul was thankful. And you know, the reality for you and me is simply this, and I'm sure you found this to be the case as well as I have. The more we give thanks to God, the more we realize how much we really do have to give thanks to God for in our lives. It's a great discipline to to start. It's a great discipline. It's one that we don't talk about quite often, but it's a discipline that I think would be a blessing to all of us individually and us collectively. is a discipline of thankfulness just disciplining ourselves to be thankful to the God day in and day out, to be thankful for all the blessings of God, to be thankful for those guys placed around us, to be thankful for one another, and to then to express that. Could you imagine the change, the difference that would happen if we all focused on, as Paul was doing here, this discipline, this habit of thankfulness? It's a great one to practice uh, even this day and this week. Uh, together even here in just a few moments we'll have an opportunity to to practice the discipline of thankfulness in the the time of invitation response to the Lord the second purpose was encouragement Paul wanted to encourage these believers in Thessalonica they missed Paul they wanted to see Paul they didn't have a long time with Paul they loved Paul and so they missed him and Paul encouraged them by telling them hey I want to come back and see you too we read that already in first Thessalonians chapter three I want to see you They also were dealing with persecution for their faith in Jesus. They were dealing with opposition for their faith in Jesus. And so Paul wrote to them to encourage them to stand firm in their faith in Jesus, to stay faithful to Jesus. You see, Paul understood the importance of encouragement. Paul understood how important encouragement is. Paul knew how much he needed encouragement, and Paul also knew how he needed to give encouragement. And so this is true for you and me as well today. You know, the reality is simply this. We all need encouragement. Every single one of us. We desperately need encouragement. Some of us came here this morning and our greatest need is the need of encouragement. Discouragement, fear, frustration, whatever the case may be, may have closed in on you in such a way you are as thirsty as you've ever been in your life for simply encouragement. Just a kind word, just a positive word. But you know what? The great news is not only do we all need it, we can all give encouragement. Every single one of us can give encouragement. This again is another habit, another discipline. That we need to practice. We need to practice. Paul was practicing it, he was in writing in these words that he's written to these believers that we're going to begin to digest over the next weeks and months to come, he's challenging them not just to develop the discipline of thankfulness, but how about developing the discipline of encouragement, encouraging one another. Boy, do we need that this morning? Do we need that today? It's part of the reason why we have our invitation times. It's not just for for folks to come and to share with us that that they want to receive God's gift of salvation by the faith in Jesus. It's not just to come and, and pray for and with one another as brothers in Christ, or to cr- come and, and cast our cares in the Lord because he cares for us, because that's important to do, and it is certainly all about that, but it's also about an opportunity, a time, a practical time where we can walk in the word. We can do what this word says. A practical time where we can go and minister to one another. We can be that minister of encouragement. We can be that minister of thankfulness. We can express encouragement and thankfulness. We can actually walk in the word in these disciplines this morning. Here in just a few minutes. That's what's so awesome about coming together as a family of God. So many amazing blessings. Third was instruction. Third was instruction. Remember, these believers were young and their faith in Jesus. They were face, facing persecution for their faith in Jesus. They had questions about living for Jesus. They had some legitimate questions about living for Jesus. They were facing temptation to go back to their old way of life. And so Paul wrote not only to think be thankful for them. He didn't he expressed his thanks to them. He encouraged them, but he also instructed them. Paul answered their questions and he continued instructing them on how to live in a way that is pleasing to God. And he wrote this in First Thessalonians four, verse one. He said this. Additionally then, brothers and sisters, We ask and encourage you, there it is, we ask and encourage you in the Lord Jesus that as you have received instruction, there it is, from us on how you should live and please God as you are doing. So he said, hey, you're doing it. You're living and pleasing God, you're doing it. He said, do this even more. He said, even more. Do it even more. And so we see Paul ministered instruction to these believers in these pages through these words. The power of the Holy Spirit who is at work in that church, it's the same power of the Holy Spirit that's at work in us. Paul's gonna minister thankfulness and encouragement to us and instruction to us because there's so many similarities in ways to what was going on at this time period and day and to what's going on today. To what God was doing at work in and through and around them and what God's doing at work in and through and around us. The last point, the sixth point is the theme. The theme is stay ready. Paul encouraged the believers in his ministry team. He encouraged the believers there in Thessalonica. Stay ready as you live for Jesus. Stay ready as you love for Jesus. Stay ready as you serve others through Jesus. Stay ready as you give your thanks to Jesus. Stay ready as you encourage one another in Jesus. Stay ready as you tell others about Jesus. Stay ready as you look for the return of Jesus what you're going to see in this amazing letter is these believers in Thessalonica had questions about death about what happens after death about the return of Jesus and about our eternity in heaven they had questions and in 1 Thessalonians there are 5 chapters And Paul addressed the return of Jesus in all five chapters. All five chapters. He addressed the return of Jesus. He was telling them, stay ready. Stay ready for the return of Jesus. These words that Paul wrote years and years ago are true for you and me today. We need to stay ready as we live for Jesus. We need to stay ready as we love others like Jesus. We need to stay ready as we serve others through Jesus. We need to stay ready as we give thanks to Jesus. We need to stay ready as we tell others about Jesus. We need to stay ready for the return of Jesus. Hey, guess what? King Jesus is coming back for us. He's coming back. Praise God. King Jesus you are for me. It's like the words of the old hymn. What a day that will be when my Jesus I shall see when I look upon his face the one who saved me by his grace when he takes me by the hand and leads me to the promised land. What a day, glorious day, that will be. Listen, until that day, that glorious day, when King Jesus comes back for us, let's live our lives in a way that is pleasing to God and even more day by day. As we stay ready for the return of our Savior, our Lord, our King, Jesus. Let me ask you to bow in prayer.